Who is Jesus? That's the question. You know, I think it's probably the most, it is the most important question that any person can face on this planet while you're alive. You have to be able to answer that question. Why? Because it really determines your eternal destiny. It determines a purpose for your life. And if Jesus were here this morning, if he would walk down the aisle and he would sit together with each one of us, I wonder what he would ask us. He said, who do you think I am? We're going to take you to a passage of scripture where Jesus did actually answer that, ask that question. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. I want you to notice on the screen here in the background, this is an actual picture of a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's at the headwaters of the Jordan River. It's exactly where Jesus had this encounter with his disciples. I wanted you to see that this was a historical place. I've had the privilege of being there a couple of times, and it's a a wonderful place to really enjoy not only the surroundings, but to reminisce back at this moment when Jesus faced his disciples. So let's read about it. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, that was a fairly generic question. It wasn't terribly confrontational with them, but they responded. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Obviously, people were confused just like today. But what about you, he asked? What do you or who do you say I am? Well, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter answered correctly. The question you've got to respond to today is, Who do you think Jesus Christ is? Who do you think he is on a personal level? This this idea of really understanding who Jesus is. Now, a lot of us maybe believe in Jesus, but do we really know Jesus? We're going to get into that a little bit more in just a minute. We need to look at the facts, though, about Jesus, because we need to understand that historians agree that there was a historical person named Jesus who lived around 33 A.D., all, a lot of historians who studied the life of Jesus said that, yes, there was a man named Jesus, and he did live on this planet, and he did walk the face of the earth around this period of time. He was an actual person. He was an actual figure. He wasn't a myth. He wasn't a legend. He was a real guy. But secondly, there's another fact about Jesus. Historians agree that Jesus was crucified on a cross due to a conspiracy by the religious elite. Jesus did die on a cross. He was crucified on a Roman cross, which was one of the cruelest forms of capital punishment of the day. In fact, historians tell us that they actually stopped crucifixions later on because it had such cruelty attached to it that even the Romans decided it was too, uh, too horrible, and so they stopped crucifixion. So Jesus indeed was crucified. That's a historical fact. Thirdly, Jesus did claim to be the Son of God. If we read in, in, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 and 64, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath. Now, mind you, Jesus was under oath in a court of law. I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. That's what they referred to as blasphemy at the time. Jesus was crucified over that particular claim. But Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. There are other, quote, prophets that come, have come along claiming to be somewhat of a Messiah, but only Jesus was the one that claimed to be the Son of God and actually backed it up. And we're going to see that in a minute. But fourth, Jesus predicted his death and resurrection in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders. 
chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This was just after he appeared to the disciples or was with the disciples at Caesarea Philippi and he made it very clear and said it several times along the way until he went to Jerusalem and actually was crucified. He predicted his own death and resurrection. A fifth fact is this. On the third day, there was an empty tomb. That's a fact. Nobody has ever disputed that the tomb was empty. The Romans didn't dispute that. The Sanhedrin didn't dispute that. Historians didn't dispute that. Somehow the tomb was empty on Easter morning. That's a fact. Now, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, our faith would be totally useless. You would be coming here this morning and wasting your time, right? You'd be wasting your time if it wasn't a fact, if it wasn't a reality that Jesus indeed predicted his death, crucified on a cross, and rose again from the grave. If that wasn't the case, we'd all be in big trouble. The reason why I say that, let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You get the point? If Jesus never resurrected, he would be no different than any other good teacher or prophet or whatever that's out there. But he predicted that he would raise from the dead. It happened. It did. And thank God he did, because otherwise we'd be wasting our time here on Sunday morning. And there are millions of people all over the world that are celebrating his resurrection. And if it was all a hoax, what a farce it would be. It would be total futility. So there's a lot of people, though, that said, no, he really didn't resurrect the dead. And and there are some theories about that. And I'd like to share a few of those theories with you this morning. One of them said he never really died. They call it the swoon theory. Well, you know, when he got the cat of uh, tails that were ripping his back to shreds. They said that probably his ribs actually showed from his back. Most people died from just the whipping that Jesus got. You attach to that the nails that were driven into his hands or his wrists and his feet. And then if you remember, they thrust a spear into his side and out came blood and water, which is to this day still by autopsy or by coroners would say that he was actually dead. So the fact that he wasn't dead is all a bunch of baloney. He was dead. Secondly, well, let me, let me just go back. Think about this. If he did all of a sudden get in the tomb and, and, and the coolness of the tomb revived his body, he had to basically unwrap himself from mummy-like claws. He had to move at least a ton and a half stone. He had to sneak by these cracked guards and somehow escape. And this was a man who was beaten and bloodied and had a spear thrust in his side. Give me a break. Okay? Secondly, the disciples stole the body and began a rumor that Jesus had risen. Give me, you know, think about this. Where were the disciples during the crucifixion? The only guy that hung around was John. The rest of them were all hiding out. 
depressed, disillusioned, fearful, afraid for their own lives because they were identified with Jesus. That's why Peter denied him three times. You say, these guys went in, got past the guard somehow, rolled the stone away and stole his body? Are you kidding me? Third theory was this. Some have suggested that the authorities stole the body. Well, wait a minute. If, if, if they stole the body, then when the disciples and other people began to shout that Jesus had really resurrected from the dead, they would have produced the body and that would have proven the fact that he didn't really rise. But there was no proof of that. Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. We serve a risen Savior. Let's get that straight. We are not living out some hoax, some legend, some myth. It's a reality that Jesus indeed was the Son of God. Nobody else made that claim and backed it up other than Jesus Christ. So what were the proofs of the resurrection? Let's think about it for a minute. Well, obviously, we've already said there's the empty tomb. There was an empty tomb. Nobody disputed the fact that the tomb was empty. Not the guards, not the Roman people, not the Roman authorities, not the Sanhedrin. Nobody denied the fact that there wasn't, there was an empty tomb. Secondly, Jesus, it tells us that he appeared to over 500 different witnesses. Forty days he walked this earth after he rose from the dead. He appeared bodily to over 500 people. Now you can say if he appeared to maybe the disciples that maybe one of them was hallucinating, but 500 witnesses that all validated the fact that he was alive. That's an amazing thought. Thirdly, he appeared to the disciples. He appeared to both the Marys. He ate with them. He even, remember, he had a confrontation with Thomas, who was kind of waiting and kind of feeling disillusioned and doubtful about the resurrection. And Jesus appears to him and and he says, Thomas, you know, put your hands in in the nail prints and, and touch my body and realize that I am truly alive. I mean, Jesus physically ate with these guys. He walked with them. He talked with them. Now, here's the fourth proof of the resurrection I think is really valid. There was an incredible transformation that took place in the disciples. They went from lily-livered wimps to a bunch of incredible martyrs that 10 out of the of 11 died a martyr's death for the cause of Jesus Christ. If he was a fake or a fraud, you think they'd all go to their death as a martyr? I doubt it. There was an incredible transformation that took place in their lives because they saw a risen Jesus. They saw him. They came face to face personally with him. And by the way, a fifth fact of the resurrection in my mind is that millions of people's lives have been transformed because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Many of you are sitting here this morning because your life changed one day because you personally had an encounter with Jesus Christ in your own life. And your life changed. Scripture says you were, behold, old things have passed away and all things became new. You were transformed. You became a new creature in Christ. That's what they mean by born again. Millions of people all over the world have been transformed. There's one such guy I want you to meet this morning who was transformed by Jesus Christ. Some of you know him. His name is Jack Butler. Remember, Jack was with us Christmas Eve. Jack is dying of ALS. But I want you to hear Jack's testimony because it's such a reality to him to know Jesus. I wanted to share this with you this morning. So take a look. 
Well, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and it was hard. And there was abuse in the house I grew up in, and that affected me. But I knew about God. And I believed in God, but I didn't know God. And eventually, I learned I needed a savior. And when I accepted Jesus as my savior, my life changed for the better. He's my Lord and Savior. He's he's changed my life and made me a better person. But more, he's forgiven me of my sins through his sacrifice and resurrection. And we can look forward to. Living in eternity with the Lord in heaven, Jesus died on that cross for all of us, but He died on that cross just for me. And when He rose from the dead, physically rose from the dead, it wasn't victory over sin and death. And we don't have to fear death if you have the Lord as Jesus as your Savior. You don't have to fear death. Death is just moving on to somewhere better if you know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, it's not good. Well, there's no cure for ALS at this time, and that's one of the perks of ALS: is you can't depend on doctors or medicine. Your only hope is Jesus. Your only hope is the Lord. He's the great physician, and I know. He can heal me, but I want His will to be done. If the Lord doesn't heal me, I'll be going home to Him, and if He does heal me, I'll be going home to my wife. God is faithful, and He's real, and. I have a calm and peaceful feeling in my soul, and that's from the Lord. Because when I die, I know where I'm going.
Jack answered that question, didn't he? Who is Jesus? He's my Lord and my Savior, he said. So who is Jesus? In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus made this declaration that he is the only pathway to God. There's a lot of people in our culture today that think there's a lot of different pathways to God and to heaven. But if Jesus was indeed the Son of God and that he spoke truth, he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. Not through Confucius, not through Muhammad, not through Buddha, not through the New Age movement, not even through your good works. Can you get to heaven except through Jesus Christ? He's the one that built the bridge that we created, a gap, remember? Because Bible says, for all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't know if anybody can stand up here this morning and say, hey, I'm sinless. I've never, I've, I'm perfect. I've done everything right. Jesus said, wait a minute. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was the only sinless sacrifice that was made for you and for me. No leader of any religious movement made the claims that Jesus did and backed them up. You say, well, that's kind of a narrow way. But I didn't say it. The Son of God said that. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. But secondly, we need to know who Jesus is, that he's a loving Savior. He's a loving Savior. We know the scripture in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever stuck your name in that verse? For God so loved Tom that he gave Jesus, his only son, to die on that cross for me. You remember what Jack said? Sure, he died for the whole world, but he died what? Just for Jack. Just for Jack. Have you ever absorbed that in your own heart and life? That's been something I've been wrestling with over this Easter holiday. Lord, you, you, you did that for me. If, if I was the only guy standing at the foot of the cross, you'd look down at me and say, I forgive Tom for he didn't know what he was doing. I love him so much, I'm willing to die this cruel, horrible death that I don't deserve so that I can administer grace to that guy. Have you personalized it yourself? See, we can believe in God. We can believe in Jesus. But do you remember what Jack said? You got to know the Lord. It's a relationship. It's a journey. And every person on the planet has to make some sort of decision along their life journey to say, do I not only believe in Jesus, do I want to know him? Do I want to accept him into my life? Do I want to ask him to forgive me for my sins so that I know that when I take my last breath on earth, I will go straight to paradise and be with him forever? Do you know that? If you were to die tonight or a terrorist bombing came to Prescott and you lost your life, do you know where you'd be confidently know that you would go straight to heaven? And Scripture says it's not by works. It's not by being a good person. I mean, would it have been a dumb idea for God to send his only son, God himself, who came down to earth and humbled himself as a man, as a human being, to identify with us and take all of our sin if we could pull it off ourselves? How stupid would that be of God to do that? But he knew we couldn't do it ourselves. And so he gave us Jesus as a substitute for us. 
Why did he do it? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. But thirdly, in John chapter 20, verse 28, there's one more definition that we need to talk about, and that he is Lord. He is Lord. You know, when Thomas was doubting, and I can certainly relate to that because my name's Thomas, and I doubted for quite a while in my own life. But when Thomas actually came in a confrontation with Jesus and saw the nail prints in his hand and the the, the scar in his side, what did he say to the Lord? My Lord and my God. See, the word Lord has this connotation of he's calling the shots. He's the king. He's running my life. And I know that there's some people here in this room this morning who, who, have, who have sometime along their life journey, maybe when they were three, four, five, eight, nine, ten. I don't know how old you were. At some point in time, you were confronted with this whole idea of Jesus dying for you and blah, blah, blah. And you said, yes, I, I accept Jesus into my heart and life. Now I got my ticket to heaven. But for a lot of us, we don't understand the Lord part. And so consequently, maybe some of you, even though you met Jesus at one time, you've never given him complete control of your life over to him. He's not calling the shots. You've been calling the shots. If you're really honest, you've been the one running your own life. How well is it working for you? And so Jesus wanted to make sure. And as Jack pointed out, he's not just my savior. He's also my Lord. And a lot of times we like our little ticket to heaven, but God, don't bug me. Don't bother me. Don't run my life. I'll take care of that. I got my ticket to heaven. That's not being a follower of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you some questions this morning. I feel like if, what if, like I said earlier, what if Jesus were to sit right next to you right now where you are? And he's in this room, believe me. The Spirit of God is really present here this morning. And if he were to sit down and look you in the eye and he said, who do you say I am? What would you tell him? Well, Jesus, um, I, 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 I believe in you. No, do you know me? Do you have a relationship with me? You might say, well, you know, I've heard you're a, a, a good teacher, a good role model, a good prophet. But I'm not sure you're really the son of God. Or maybe you would say, my Lord and my God. I don't know where you're at this morning. But Jesus is in the resurrection business. Amen. And it takes something to be dead before it can rise. And so I'm going to ask you. Have you ever met Jesus? Have you ever invited him to come into your life and to forgive your sin and to recognize that he made an ultimate sacrifice for us and that I can't be good enough to get to heaven without Jesus, that he's the only way, the truth, and the life. Have you ever invited him into your life? I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a second. But there's some of you this morning that have been cruising along. Oh, you met Jesus a long time ago and you're just doing your thing. And this morning you say, you know what? It's about time that I surrender And say, you know what, God, you're not just my Savior. You're my Lord. I want to say, my Lord and my God. My Lord, my God. Nobody else is around me. This is all about you and me today, Lord. I'm going to pray here in a minute. And I want to challenge you to think about that. 
Think about Jesus facing you right now and saying, who do you say that I am? Don't tell me what everybody else thinks. What do you think? Who am I really? And I'm, do you want to have a love relationship with this? When's the last time you told Jesus you love him? I mean, just flat out honestly said, you know what, Jesus, I just love you so much. Let's pray a minute. Father, I, I know that there are people sitting here that need to hear this message. And I pray that you would break down the walls, the resistance, the pride, whatever it might be, and help each one to realize that they can get their life together this morning on Easter 2016. If you want to meet Jesus as your Savior this morning, you can pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud, if that's your desire. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me 2,000 years ago. Thank you for loving me so much that you would take my place. I deserve to be on the cross. I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've screwed up my life sometimes. But, oh, Jesus, I pray that you would come into my life. I don't not only want to believe in you, I want to receive you. I want to open up my heart to you from this day forward. I want to start a journey with you. If you prayed that prayer this morning and your heart was sincere, you can have the assurance that if you take your last breath today, you would be in paradise with Jesus forever. I also believe there's a lot of folks maybe sitting here this morning that have been on cruise control for a long time spiritually. In your life, somewhere along the way, you met Jesus, but you've really failed in the area of being a follower. You really haven't given him complete control of your life. You're holding back on some areas of your life, and you say, God, you can have this, but you can't have that. I want to do things my way. But this morning, you want to stick a stake in the ground and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I know you. I want to follow you. I want to give control over to you. I want you to be my, just my Savior, but I want you to be my Lord. If that's the desire of your heart this morning, you want to meet Jesus and you want to give him lordship, I'm going to ask you to do something really hard. But the scriptures say very carefully that if you don't confess me before men, I'm not going to confess you before the Father. Sometimes we make these decisions that are so private and so personal, which they are, but we fail to take a vulnerable step and step out and say to other people that are around me, this is what I want to be, and I want to be accountable to that. So I'm going to ask you to do something hard this morning. If you prayed either one of those prayers, I'm going to ask you to join me down here in front. I want to pray for you. We have a gift for you after the service that we'd love to give you as well. And the reason I'm asking you to do this is because I love you. And Jesus loves you. And if that's the desire of your heart, I'm going to step down here in just a minute. And I'm going to ask you to be bold enough and honest enough to say, Jesus, I'm going to get up out of my seat because I'm serious. I'm not going to play games here. I'm not going to hide out. 
this is something I really want in my life. I want that peace when I walk out of here this morning that if I were to die tonight, I'd be just like Jack. I'd know where I was going. And I'd be going home. So we ask you right now, Lord, that you would touch people's hearts in these next few minutes. As you speak to them, may they listen with an open mind and an open heart. In Jesus' name I pray. a guy named Jack. Jack was a World War II hero. Some of you have heard this before. 83 years old, his wife Elma has been praying for him for over 50 years. And I'd see Jack sometimes on a Sunday morning and say, hey Jack, when are you going to come in and see me? Oh, I will, Pastor. Someday I will. He put off this decision 50 years. Then one day he showed up in my office. I said, Jack, ready to receive Christ? You bet, Pastor. I said, is today today? He said, yep, today's the day. Stubborn old coot he was. His pride for over 50 years was finally broken. I got a hunch there's some guys in this room that are doing the same thing. Jack prayed that prayer. Now I've been praying for him for 50 years. And he gets up after he prays that prayer and he's got a gleam in his eye and he says, Alma, I'm going up. Are you going up? Friend, don't walk out of here without making that decision. Jesus, thank you for being real, for being the Son of God, for raising from the dead not a myth. You're not a legend. You're a person who loved us so much that you gave your only begotten son. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and these folks that are standing here so much 
Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We have a gift for you if you want to follow Pastor Dan out. Um, we'd love to give you guys a gift and to pray with you and get to know you a little bit better. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, everybody. Jamie, let's sing. Thank you. Praise God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.